do uh, grab a seat there. Well, good evening, everyone. It's lovely to um, see you tonight as we come to God's Word. Um, why don't I start with um, a prayer? Christ alone, cornerstone, Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the gospel we have received. Please would you help us tonight to see him alone. Amen. I wonder if you can picture uh, something like this. You've just moved into your dream home. The log burner looks great uh, in the corner of the living room. But um, even though you've had to replace the suite of sofas a couple of times to make it fit, it doesn't take you long to think that actually um, it would be much cosier if it was in the middle. Um, so as it comes, uh, maybe you do lots of painting while you're at it and everything looks great. Then within a few months, um, well, you've just had the thought of adding a conservatory, but because the burner's now in the middle, you're going to have to knock the wall down to one side. And it also means the sofa's now in the way, so that's got to go. And so it goes, but that's okay because the new coffee table looks terrific uh, there. Trouble is now is the piano in the spare room um, has to be moved out because that room has become the playroom for the kids. And the only place it can go now is next to the burner, but the heat's going to be a problem, so we're going to have to change all that. So the burner is moved again. Uh, but obviously the, the coffee table, that's long gone. It's been replaced by another one, which is a little bit too long. Um, but actually that's okay, because um, we've had another idea. The, uh, the living room is not going to be the, the spare room, the playroom for the kids, and everything's going to go into the other room. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not uh, against renovations of homes, uh, even if there is nothing wrong uh, with them, and nothing is falling apart. Uh, but doesn't this slight caricature reflect... Uh, the way we tend to function in our world today. So, um, it might not just be for home improvements, but maybe you're more of a latest sort of tech uh, person. We have these itchy feet, and we find it hard to stick with what we've got, um, what, we've already, what we already have, and we're always thinking about the next thing, and we feel very persuaded by uh, arguments to do so. And I wonder if this can also be true for us today when we think about the message that we've received, the gospel. And we think, well, what do I do with it now? Well, as we continue our sermon series in Colossians, you remember that so far that we've seen that for them too, that is a temptation, uh, spiritually speaking. Paul is writing to the Colossians. They are believers. Um, they've heard the gospel from Epaphras, someone else. And they believe they've heard about the Lord Jesus. They've heard about uh, what he's done. They've heard about his death on the cross, uh, his resurrection, and that he died for them. And they've come to accept this. And you'll remember back in chapter 1, we saw this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through his death. So that's the message they received, and they've embraced it. But now they're in danger of thinking... What next? You see, people might be coming with very persuasive arguments and telling them that this is very nice and spot on, but for this faith that they have, um, this message they've, they've received, for it to be the genuine thing, in order to inherit maybe all the blessings that come with it, well, maybe you know, there's a little something else that they need. So think about Jesus. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament, of the law. 
And so it would be very easy to say, well, because he fulfilled the Jewish law, you've now become a Christian, that's great. But for it to be complete, you also need to become uh, uh, Jewish. And they will come with very well-formulated claims, uh, very convincing and plausible-sounding arguments, which deceive them. Look at verse 4. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And so what is Paul's response straight away? Well, it's in verse 6. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And that's going to be our main point this evening. Continue in Christ just as you received him. So just as they've received him, that's the message, so they are to continue to live in him. Did you notice the way he described uh, Jesus, if I just go back, Christ Jesus as Lord. So to receive Jesus the Christ, and the Christ that means uh, God's anointed one, it's, it's God's special king, and, and the one who, who then came and rescued them by dying on the cross. So he's, he's, he's Jesus, their saviour, and they are to receive him also as Lord. So as they receive Jesus, they're receiving him as both saviour and Lord. And what are they to do? to continue with him. I can think of a time when I was uh, very young, when I believed that Jesus was uh, Lord, and I was really grateful for what he'd done. The problem is that I was also aware of my failings, that uh, I was getting things wrong with my sin, and so I needed to do more. Um, I needed to try harder. I needed to fix it. Just that little extra to get things right with God. Can you think of times when maybe... Um, we think that, or maybe we hear the world say that uh, something else is needed to be right with God. Fine-sounding arguments. Maybe that full salvation comes from the gospel, as well as being in communion and under the authority of the church uh, of Rome, maybe the, the one true church. Or maybe that we may well have been baptized, but in order to really enjoy all the full blessing of a, a, a complete relationship with God. But we also need another baptism in the Spirit. Or even again, closer to home in the news uh, this week in the Church of England, we can be told the Gospel is great. But it doesn't need to be made fit for the 21st century, fit for the narrative of our culture. Fine-sounding arguments and what they do, they deceive. And so what is Paul's urgent plea? Continue to live your lives in him. Paul is seeking to encourage the Colossians of his day that they are already getting it right, that they do not need to do anything um, else or have anything else added to the message they received. Look back at verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. So you want to have the complete understanding and know the mysteries of God? Well, it's by knowing Christ. He is that mystery that the prophets and the kings of the Old Testament couldn't quite perceive. But it's now been made uh, visible in his life and his death and his resurrection to us today. The mystery of God is no longer a mystery. 
that it has been made plain in the Lord Jesus. So the question is, what does that look like to continue in him? And Paul gives us four characteristics, um, and that's to be rooted in him, uh, verse 7, built up in him, strengthened, and also to overflow with thankfulness. And we'll begin by looking at the first three. So being rooted in him is the first thing he says. Now Paul seems to be placing an emphasis on how we respond and how we facilitate this work um, in us which means that we can continue to live in him. So this image of being rooted in him uh, shows that it's something that's already done. It's, it's a past action. We have been rooted in him. Um, not anywhere else, uh, not in a different soil, not by belonging to a particular group. But this is not something which needs repeating either. It doesn't need to change as the world around us changes. These roots are in the ground and they remain steady. And we, we heard from Jeremiah. This is the one who trusts in the Lord with conf- whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the waters that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Isn't that a wonderful picture? of the Christian or even the church with its roots in Christ. Nothing that happens can knock their confidence for six because of where the roots are. There may be trials and difficulties for the Colossians and similarly great costs for the Christian today but ultimately our roots are in him, our God, who who will not fail to make us fruitful. There is no need to change what we have received. No need to change the orthodox doctrine of the church in order to suit the world. And in fact, again in Jeremiah, we can see that there's a stark warning for, for, for the alternative because if we are not rooted in Christ, what are we doing? Well, we're trusting in man. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity. It's, it's quite a contrast. Having those roots in Christ are essential because, uh, secondly, it will enable the believer to be built up in him. Now, the concept of building up believers is a recurring theme throughout Paul's letters. The Christian believer needs to be rooted in Christ. That's right. It's to have the right foundation, or else just like a building without foundations, it, it will collapse. But that is not where it ends. Unlike the past tense of being rooted, that built up is very much in the present. It's an ongoing activity. Paul does not expect the believer to remain as he or she was at conversion. So just as they've received Christ and were rooted in him, so now they are to continue to live in him. And that will be seen as they are built up. Last autumn, with, with my children, we planted some tulip bulbs in the ground in front of the house. Uh, and when we were done, I packed the tools away, washed my hands, and is that it? Well, of course not. It's not the end. Now we're waiting for April when they are going to grow. They're going to bloom later this year. And so it is with us. We are rooted in Christ and being built up in Him. And so this should also be a chief concern that we have for one another. 
uh, to see and to help each other be built up. That is what uh, continuing in Christ looks like. And, and so, is that how we see our, our gatherings here at St. John's, Stamshire Hill, as an occasion for um, edification? Because there are so many opportunities to do so uh, before, during, after the services, when uh, we greet one another, uh, when we uh, ask each other how we are doing, when we seek to encourage each other and, and find out how our walk with Christ is going. A few years ago, my church uh, ran a, a series in our midweek groups called um, Loving the Church. And it was, it was such a lovely time together, seeing how we could think about loving one another. And I felt particularly convicted that, that I was not very good at very simply praying for the church and for individuals as well in a um, systematic and intentional way. What a simple way, but a great way that we can build each other up as brothers and sisters. And can I encourage you to do this? Pray for those around you. Pray ahead of our meetings in the evening for what you're um, what your con- conversations will be afterwards and then have those conversations because as we build each other up we will also be strengthened in our faith now this makes us think of the athletes uh, training and exercises in order to be stronger or better at their sport now I'm no athlete but when I was a boy I had back problems and so the doctor gave me some exercises to strengthen my back um, so I had to do activities which made the muscles in my back work a bit harder than usual. And over time, you probably wouldn't have been able to tell, but my, my back muscles would have grown in size and power and endurance and um, helped support my back more efficiently. And I'm glad to say it worked because I've had very few issues since. But with the believer, it's the same thing. Just as we received Christ, so we will want to be strengthened in our faith. Now, faith could be understood in two ways. It could be our own personal faith, my, my belief in God. But here, Paul is speaking of the truth given to the believer, uh, to the message, if you want. And so we will want to be strengthened in that truth that is, uh, as it is um, consolidated, like my back was. This will be um, seeking greater understanding of what we have received. Not something new, but in what we've already received, that, that old message, as it were. Look with me back at verse 3. And Paul's talking about Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is a treasure uh, before us. Not something that uh, we can't find, but it's, it's there, it's available, it's open. It's the same treasure we've received, it's Christ. And as we start to pull out some of the precious stones, well, we'll find that we can just keep on finding more. It's a treasure that keeps on giving. And so it's a great comfort for us today to know that we already have it. It isn't something new or something which needs to be updated. We continue in the same Christ we have received. At the same time, it will be a, a challenge to consider that it does require a thirst for learning. Now think about a teacher. I know some of you are here or you might be in other forms of education. So the teacher is the expert in, in their subjects. Hopefully they love it and they're passionate about sharing its beauty. Uh, I certainly was when I used to teach. But there's another reason why people become teachers. is because they're simply passionate about learning 
learning for their pupil, but also themselves. But by and large, teachers are also good learners. They want to learn things. And, and that will be true at whatever your, your career. You want to know how to do your job better. Or so it is with a Christian. We do not stay where we are at conversion, but continuing with Christ, we'll be seeking to increase in knowledge in Christ, to grow in him, to delight in his word as he reveals Christ in it. So that's why when we gather here, as we are this evening, we look at God's word, we expect to learn something. We, we expect we're here because we want to be strengthened in our faith. And notice that as I speak to you, it's the same message. It's the same one you received. It's the same one you were taught. What does Paul say? Continue in him, strengthened in the faith. But also notice that Paul doesn't stop there because he adds this in verse 7. Overflowing with thankfulness. And that's our our second and slightly briefer point. That we want all this overflowing with thankfulness. So continuing Christ, overflowing with thankfulness. And why does Paul add this at the end? Well, we've just seen what continuing in Christ looks like. That rooted in him, built up in him, strengthened in the faith. And I guess it cuts both ways. Clearly it means we don't stay still. Uh, continuing will mean, mean there's a sense of progression in Christ or of growth in him. But think about what tends to happen as we grow, as our knowledge increases, as our understanding deepens. I know the stories in the Bible better and better. Uh, I know the stories in children's Sunday club or in my youth group. Uh, I offer really great perspectives and angles in my midweek groups and I get to know, I get to be known as a particularly knowledgeable guy or girl at church. My eyes pretty sorted too. I'm rather impressive. Uh, my knowledge becomes academic. Um, and in this sort of unwritten hierarchy, I'm near the top, really. Oh, and my prayers. Thank you, God, for the way you made me. And not like them over there. Does that sound thankful? It sounds awfully like the Pharisees in the Gospel in Jesus' day. Spiritual pride and boastfulness. But the thing is, to be thankful, nay, overflowing with thankfulness, well, what does that do to us? If I, say some, if I say thank you for something, or it's for something I've received, it reminds me that I didn't have something and then I was given it. Think about the way you pray before a meal. Thank you, Lord, for this food. Well, you're not about to now go into a monologue about how actually I bought and cooked the food. In fact, I'm the one who's got the job who meant I could buy the food. When you thank God for your food, you remember that it is a gift from God. He's the one who's provided it. He's the one who gave you everything. He's the one who gave you the job so that you could buy the food. He's the one who gave you the education so you could have the good job. He gave you the kitchen and the ingredients. He gave you the taste buds so that you could enjoy and delight in the food you eat rather than just eating to survive. Being thankful 
realize our thinking. It's very difficult to boast and grumble when we are thankful and grateful for something. It reminds us that we have no merit in receiving it. Rather, the merit is all in God, the one who gives it. And so, just like we thank God when we first received him, so we are to overflow with thankfulness. And, and did you see so far in the letter that that is a, a mark of, of how Paul writes? Look in verse 5. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. But Paul is saying them that they are right on track, that they are doing the right thing. And how does he feel about it? He delights in it. He's never seen them before. He's never met them. And yet he is chuffed a bit. He is thankful. Look back at the beginning of the book, verse 3 of chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. And he goes on and on. And you can hear the excitement as he's writing and why he's so thankful. Is that simply because the Colossians were doing a really impressive job? Well, look at his other letters. Look at the Corinthians. Now, they were a really messed up bunch. And how does he begin his letter to them? I always thank my God for you. Paul is overflowing with thankfulness. That is a mark of his ministry. And remember that when he's writing this, he's in prison and in chains. So how are we thankful? Well, let me put it in a different way. When, what are the ways we are not thankful? And I don't mean a bit, but overflowing with thankfulness. I find this very convicting, personally, and in two obvious ways. Because when boasting, what does that lead me to do? Well, to overlook what he's given me and instead to look at myself and to take it for granted. But also the grumbling because I feel like I want something else. I need something more. Jesus is great, but I also want something else. And if I could just adapt things, well then that will make it better. Jesus is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's three. Two weeks ago, in the, we looked in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness to dwell in him, talking of Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace through his blood. Being thankful will remind me of God's goodness, that everything I need to live and follow him is in Christ. It will be a mark of my dependence on him rather than myself. And so, as we finish, can you see that overflowing with thankfulness will keep our eyes fixed on the right place, on Christ, the one we received? And so, as we continue in Him with thankfulness, the beautiful irony is that it will ensure that we are indeed rooted in Him, built up in Him, strengthened in the faith. It comes back on itself. Being thankful 
will be the mark of our growth as we continue in him. as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, overflowing with thankfulness. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that we know him, um, that we are in him. Please, would our response be one of overwhelming and of an overflowing of thankfulness. Please help us to look at the areas where maybe we are not and help us to, uh, to, to realign our thoughts that we may be rooted and built up and strengthened and love you more 